Hey, Foreplay listeners, you can find us every Tuesday and Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Listen up, we've got some tea, and you all are going to be obsessed. We spoke with the Abercrombie team, and they told us that they were going to launch a wedding shop. Well, we lost it, because as you know, we are both getting ready to get Abercrombie and Hitched. The whole vibe of Abercrombie these days is clothes you'd wear for a perfect long weekend, and all their customers were like, hey, we spend long weekends traveling for weddings these days, and then Abercrombie was like, we love that. Let us just give you everything you could ever possibly want and love to wear for all things wedding. So they did. It has everything. Tons of dresses, jumpsuits, pants, swimsuits, pajamas, pantsuits, and all perfectly curated for different events, bachelorettes, brunches, showers, ceremonies as a guest and ceremonies as a bride, reception, and even honeymoon. It is incredible. Check out the Abercrombie Wedding Shop on Abercrombie.com. Go shop it now. It is Memorial Day. We are back in the office after a long weekend. We've got uh, the Memorial Week coming up, an event that has been won by Tiger Woods five times. I think we're going to talk about him a little bit today. He's going to come up on this very podcast, believe it or not. (laughs) Trent, how does it feel to be back in the office? Uh, It feels good. Um, I feel like my voice is a little, I got a little hangover voice. Um, I can't drink three days in a row anymore. That's what I've really learned about myself now. Yeah, I would say in the last year or two, I've really come to learn that about myself. I mean, I do it, but I can't do it. I think I already knew, and I already knew I couldn't drink two days in a row, so three days is crazy. I go out once every weekend, and then I go home, and I don't do anything else. It's amazing how horrific I feel like <laughs> at the beginning of drinking the second day. But it goes away so quickly that you're like, oh, I should do this every time. Beer, maybe a beer and a half in, and you're like, yeah. you're back. Yeah, I went to Chicago this weekend for a wedding of a buddy of mine who I've known for a long time. It was fun. I hadn't been to Chicago in a while, but you get there Friday. They kind of have their rehearsal dinner thing. I wasn't in the actual wedding, but everybody's there. It's kind of a reunion with my high school buddies, so that was fun. Wedding Saturday, you drink all day long. This reception that I went to, it ended at 1 a.m. Does that feel late to you? Yes. It's, in fact, most receptions end at like 11. Yeah, so the reception or the ceremony itself was at like 1 o'clock in the afternoon, mm-hmm. and then the reception didn't start till 6 or 7, and I, we just drank the whole day until you know, the reception ended at 1, and then we went out after that too. Yeah, that seems aggressive. It was aggressive, and I, I, I mean, once you turn 25, the hangovers are so bad, I don't even know why I drink at all anymore. So I was down in Avalon yeah, in uh, South Jersey Shore. With uh, Smitty. With our boy Smitty. It was, uh, it's kind of, you know, it was like a peek under the, under the hood of like the Smitty life, his, his whole life pre like all of us being in the office and what he would do all the time. So it was his show. I was following Smitty. We had a great time. You said, uh, before you left, you were worried that you were going to get down there and it was going to be just the land of all Smitties, a bunch of blockhead hardos. Yeah. I wasn't sure if it was going to be like 2000 blockhead, just total hardos. That's exactly what it was. <laughs> Basically, uh, exactly what you would possibly expect. We had a great time. We went to Atlantic City first. Okay. We gambled. We got. Uh, we had some good some good luck. Did you really? Down in AC, yep. Yeah. Okay. Both won a little bit of money, so we were feeling good. And then we checked out uh, in the morning to head down to Avalon. And Smitty tried to pull the, like, well, let's just let's sit down for one shoe at the blackjack table. And I was like, nope. Nope. And we didn't. We left up, so we were all pumped about that. Went down, you know, we drank the whole time, and we played a little round of mini golf as well. Smitty has talked nonstop about 
Pirate Island and how good he is. He just tells a story endlessly about how he held the record for a long time when he was a kid. He shot a 34. <laughs> I called his bullshit, bet him a bunch of money. He beat me by five or six strokes. Yeah. You can't go to his home course and expect to win. Mini golf, I just always over, I always underestimate how important home course advantage is. Yeah, because he's probably played that 500 times. And we made a deal where he had to go first in every hole. Okay. Despite honors and all that, but it just, it didn't matter. When you know the course, you know it. It helps big time. Smitty roasted me. It sucked. He had a couple of his buddies with him, too, and, like, they weren't very good golfers or anything, and they roasted me as well. <laughs> I was just getting fucking toasted left and that's right. What, that's what happens when you go down to Avalon with Smitty, I guess. So it was tricky, but it was a fun weekend. It was very nice to be back. Uh, oh, another thing. When I went to that wedding, um, I, well, I dressed up, and I dress up probably two days a year. Yep. Getting dressed up, uh, it's underrated. For guys who dress like slobs 360 days of the year. I was going to say, it's really nice when you never do it, because right. you look at yourself and you're like, whoa, I have never I never look like this. Yeah, and you feel like, oh, you're like, you almost got a little pre-buzz before you even start boozing. You're like, I look good today, I'm going to get classy drunk. Yeah, also, um, Smitty's dad's a big-time golfer, so we were talking a lot of golf. We jumped into the backyard, hit a couple chip shots. You know what I hit my chip shots with? My oh. bomb tech wedges. Fantastic. Even he was like, wow, these things are actually really nice. They're really clean. They really perform. Bomb Tech, we got to tell you about this direct-to-consumer golf company that we are huge fans of. Bomb Tech Golf disrupts the golf industry as we know it. They're bomb as in explosion. Tech as in technology. Golf, because we're all golf people. That's why we're here. That's why we do the podcast. That's why we talk about this every week and have a good time doing it. They're one of the fastest-growing golf companies out there because of the quality and value they provide. BombTech builds clubs for the average golfer. That's you guys. They really don't give a shit about pros, retail. They only care about you. They may be pissing off the entire golf industry, which we love about them, by the way, but they don't care. Their only goal is to offer you, the regular golfer, the common man's golfer, more for your money. BombTech Golf offers the Grenade Wedge Set. Three premium wedges for just ninety-seven bucks. Fifty-two degree, fifty-six degree, sixty-degree wedge. Total ninety-seven bucks. Absolutely unheard of deal. Quality is incredible. We all love them. Mister Smith even loved them. Pat, shout out to Pat. These stainless steel wedges are backed by a sixty-day guarantee. If you don't like them, just send them back for one hundred percent refund. They ship next business day. Can't find a better uh, performance and value combined. That's impossible. They've also partnered with, with us here at Ford Play for an exclusive offer. You go to Google, type in Grenade Wedges to find Bomb Tech Golf. You can take an additional 15% off the Grenade Wedge set using coupon code BOOM15. That's B-O-O-M-1-5. BOOM15. Seriously, while you're listening right now, Google Grenade Wedges. Check them out. Both Trent and I have wedges. We love them. They're awesome. BOOM15. Go check them out. Uh, okay. A big story broke today. The The biggest story in a long time. Yeah, maybe the biggest story, which sucks and it's sad and it stinks, but maybe the biggest story in golf since we started the podcast. I would say yes. Just because of how much Tiger moves the needle. We've had Tiger news and we've had news, but the Tiger news recently, it's just kind of like, oh, is he coming back? Oh, is he hurt? When is he coming back? This and that. This DUI situation is a whole different, completely different thing by itself. Yeah, and I was thinking about it too, because even with the scandal and all that, like, yes, he had to come out and apologize to, like, the kids who he didn't uphold the role model thing to and all of that. But it yeah. was never, like, it was always he could still be like, please respect mine and my family's private. This is like, that's illegal. Yeah. You got arrested, <laughs> yeah. dude. Yeah. Everything you he, can't get a DUI. Everything he'd done up to this point was legal. This one was illegal, and the situation surrounding it is sketchy. Like, anything else that happens to Tiger, we don't know if we're going to get all the details or not. No, in this one, it's like they're... <clears throat> I, I, okay, first, I don't... Where gets, do we even start with so, this? So, 
He gets pulled over like ele- uh, or 3 yep. a.m.-ish. Mm-hmm. He's driving southbound, which was away from both his house and his restaurant. Okay. Gets, uh, apparently the video, so you folks out there listening right now might already be seeing the dash cam video. Yeah, we're recording this Monday night, and the word on the street is that the dash cam video is coming out on Tuesday, and that there, it could be some wild stuff. Yes, and so then he he gets booked, I believe, at 718, and then he finally gets released on his own, whatever, they keep using that big word. Recognizance. Recognizance at 10.50 a.m., it breaks pretty much within 15 or 20 minutes after that. Mm-hmm. The internet starts going cray-cray. I mean, the obvious thing is how in the literal fuck are you Tiger Woods and you have to resort to, on the Sunday night slash Monday morning of Memorial Day weekend, yeah. driving yourself home, shit-faced or drug-faced or whatever he's yeah. on. It doesn't even make sense. No. See, I disagree with that. I, I've been seeing that a lot. But it's we're talking about we're not talking about me and you. We're talking about Tiger Woods, the guy with who once had an ego the size of Jupiter, who like thinks he can get away with just about anything. But it's been proven that he can't. But and we talked about this before we came on air. Tiger doesn't live in the world where he can do something wrong and he th- doesn't think he's going to get caught. He doesn't live in that same headspace as anyone else. He can do this because he thinks he's above the law, one thousand percent. So I mean, get uh, no, I have know. a private driver. He's definitely. I, I get that he doesn't want to use Uber, but like even Uber Black Car or whatever, like nobody's gonna know. <laughs> you just get into it and like you go home. I think you're focusing on the wrong part. It's not about an Uber. He it could be the nicest Bentley in the world. It could be what the president drives around in. It's he wants to get in his car. Okay, and he wants to go wherever the fuck he's going. Then even if you're gonna do that, you have to know that you've got the setup and the clout in town. That no one would ever arrest you ever under any circumstances. Which that's another thing. This is kind of how a do you sh- fuck that? How does this team fuck that up? Like you gotta be making donations, helping these people out. You're <laughs> always with the fucking whatever you're doing. Like recent palms. Yes, you're not <laughs> getting in trouble driving your fucking Mercedes. I will home say on Memorial Day weekend. That's one of the more shocking parts of the story is that he got arrested. I. To me, something like this can happen, and it's probably happened before, or it has happened to famous people all the time, where we just never hear about it. Totally. The fact that Tiger Woods got arrested in Jupiter, Florida, is crazy. Yeah, and you would think the you know the cops got to who wouldn't recognize Tiger Woods? Okay, they definitely recognize him. It's like, and do Tiger Woods a favor, like just let me golf wherever I want forever. Anything, like, hey Tiger, you're you're a train wreck right now. Like, I'm gonna drive you home or something. You're yeah. fine. You know, anything. Other than what happened, I would be what I deal, the deal that I would make with him is I'd make him play like five rounds of golf with me. Yeah, okay. me too. Because okay. I love Tiger very much. <laughs> me too. I don't. I just can't fathom how he got to this point. Then this evening he releases the statement. Do you want to read some of the statement, Trent? Yeah, I've got it pulled up here. Okay. Um, starts out pretty boilerplate. I understand the severity of what I did, and I take full responsibility for my actions. Blah blah blah. But the second paragraph is where things get interesting. Tiger says, I want the public to know that alcohol was not involved. What happened was an unexpected reaction to prescribed medications. I didn't realize the mix of medications had affected me so strongly. I would like to apologize with all my heart, blah, 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 all that bullshit. The not, no alcohol involved part is something that I do not believe with all of my heart. And is it, it's right too that he refused the breathalyzer? He refused the breathalyzer on the scene and now he is claiming that the DUI was caused by a severe mix of pain medications. Dude, your picture's already out there. The story's already out there. Everyone's already judged you. All you can do now is you just own up to it, and then you, Trent said this before, you go on the Redemption Story tour, 
and you dominate and everyone loves a good redemption story, you don't try to fucking lie again or spin zone or whatever the hell he's doing. There's no way that's true. Nobody believes that. <laughs> Nobody. I love that. You're an idiot. The redemption story is different with Tiger because people say, oh, haven't we been looking at the redemption since the uh, since the scandal and since his male or many failed comebacks? No, a DUI is different. People have a lot of sympathy for a situation like this. Yeah. Where it's, okay, this is his bottom, and that's what everybody's saying. He's finally reached the bottom. Now, if he just says, I fucked up, I drank too much, I got behind the wheel, and I got it, I'm going to take my punishment, my public ridicule, and let's turn this fucker around. His picture... Once that picture hit the internet, it was, it put such a, like, stamp on how real and, like, bad, it just makes it infinity worse. Yeah, as soon as you see that picture, and it's a bad picture. It's a horrible, he looks like the biggest train wreck, like, deadbeat person in the world. I've written it in many blogs when he gets hurt after, you know, trying to make a comeback, where it's like, all right, this is as low as it gets. I have never been this low with Tiger, blah, blah, blah. But there's never a picture. There's, yeah, oh, my back hurts and all this and that. But the DUI picture, this is the actual bottom. Yeah, and they were talking. I was head golf channel on in the background, and somebody was on there making a really good point that – the picture, I mean, even if you go on Google Images right now and you look up Tiger Woods, now the first picture that comes up is that. And it's like, in terms of your legacy, in terms of remembrance, in terms of what people are going to go to, it's like, for the, until he starts winning majors again, which who knows if that's really going to happen. hope it does. Yeah. This is going to be front and center. I mean, that, that picture just makes it such a preposterous yeah. picture. He looks... Horrific and, in that picture. And you and I have had the argument on this very podcast, is the way that he has played and not been able to play after he was so dominant, has that affecting his legacy? You could you can make an argument either way, but now you have to always talk about the DUI moment. Like, that's another part of the story now. Yep. It's running, it's putting him through the ringer again, and he's going to get hit again tomorrow, Tuesday, after we're done recording this, with the video comes out. And whatever he said in the dash cam video or his attitude towards everybody, whatever it was... All of that stuff is he's going to get put through the ringer fucking again and you again wanna, and again. You want to talk about Sunday slash Monday scaries? If you, the listener, thought you had them last night, Tiger Woods right now has to be feeling miserable, especially if he doesn't know what's on the tape. At like 12.30 today, maybe two hours after this broke, an hour after this broke, I was sitting in my apartment a little bit hungover because like we did a little bit of drinking yesterday, and I was like, man, I feel kind of like miserable and shitty. Imagine the place that he was in throughout the whole day today of being hung over his balls. He didn't even sleep because he was in jail. Yeah. You know your shit's all over the internet. You got arrested. Your team, you've been trying to rebuild this whole TGR thing. Which he is just like, said last week that I have never felt this good. I want to play professional golf again. Things are trending in the right direction. And then three days later, his mugshot is plastered over every wall of the internet. It's fun to make jokes, and we do it for a living. We try to. We have a lot of fun. I, it's the whole thing is sad. Oh yeah, I was like very sad for him. You can I keep bringing this up, but in the previous instances where he would try to make comebacks, you can be on the side where like, oh, he's failed. I don't care about him. I don't care about him anymore. Or you can be like us, where we're like, I want him to do well. This one, it's all just sad. It's sad. Well, I was it's like, just a mountain wave of sadness. I was a sad person thinking about it. I was sad. Riggs being like, poor Tiger, sad Tiger. Illegal in jail, got arrested for DUI. Tiger, sad rigs. It's just it my s- my stupid head though, is what I said earlier. Where this just makes the comeback even more special. If oh yeah, that's the bottom it's line. Just another piece. Yeah, the end. The, the overall theme here is that 
the further he drops, the the higher his climb back up is, and the cooler and sweeter it's going to be. Yeah, uh, he's still going to win the Masters next year. <laughs> I mean, duh, everybody. Knows I sure that. hope so. But uh, <laughs> I'm looking at that picture right now. That is a man. I don't know what his deal is. I don't. I don't recognize that guy in that picture. Do you think it's like a that was just like a, a one off? Like, could have happened to anybody, or do you think this is like? Oh, there's more going on. Well, here. that's been the big discussion too throughout the media. Is it? Uh, yeah. Do we have to start discussing him as like an alcoholic, or was he the type of deal where he had a couple too many drinks at his Jupiter restaurant and he just wanted to get his car home? I allegedly he was just he just had a bad uh, bodily reaction to a fucking drug. That pisses me off because I <laughs> I've been defending Tiger for so long, and I know he's an asshole. I know he's arrogant. I know he has not he's not going to be ever as good as he was. But for him to like spit in my face with a pers- uh, pain medication lie when it's clear that he was just drunk behind the wheel is is i take that personally i agree i think it's very it's offensive if i had to guess and i have no knowledge or information behind this i would hope that this is just a one-off deal with tiger i love it he's still gonna win the masters so go buy a shirt make sundays great again you're uh, wearing that shirt right now i'm wearing it right now <laughs> it's an excellent shirt it's a statement you're i mean you're sticking to, to your guy i like that he's my guy you know i feel again i don't feel I feel sad for him. I'm I'm mostly sad. Anyways. Do you think he'll call a press conference and face it publicly? Or? Please, God, no. <laughs> that last one was The bad. last one was so bad. <laughs> I think he's got to just hold off until he does, until he returns to golf and then that press conference. Because that's kind of what he did after the scandal. He, I mean, yeah, he came out and did the, like, apology thing. Yeah. That was the one of the weirdest 15 minutes of that television. That was, like, mom was in attendance. I've ever seen in my entire life. Strange. That was so, and, like, ESPN, like, they, like, oh, that was <laughs> that was awful. But then he kind of, then he didn't really do anything until Masters again. And then right. he had that big interview right before the, math, the uh, presser right before the Masters, and he had Billy Payne kind of shit on him and all that. Is there a chance that he just up and retires? Uh... No. Okay. But, I had that thought earlier. Well, and, only and I, because he, he, there's no way, he would not have released the statement last week where he said, like, unequivocally, I am going, I want to return to golf. If he was even close. Things, things done change since then, though. That could you be. You think a DUI would make him go from, like, I can physically play and win majors again to, I'm, I'm done. The only thing I would he's say 41 to that, for the only sake. thing I would say to that is, Maybe the things that he was saying in his statement is like he's trying to convince himself, and then you just go down one more peg, and you're like, I don't want to do this shit anymore. I'm hoping it was just the whole thing is just as simple as maybe the kids were with Elon for a couple of days on the holiday weekend. He went down, got a little cranked, was like, fuck it, I'm not doing Uber. I'm Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods doesn't Uber. Got a little unlucky. Poor judgment slash unlucky. We're gonna That dash cam video is going to say a lot. Yeah, that's good. I'm very nervous about that. <laughs> Can't imagine what Eldrick thinks about it. Anyways, is that all the Tiger we needed to say? I think so. I mean, we're, again, this happened just earlier today. Uh, we presented all the information we have currently. He just came out with the prescription thing where it, he said alcohol is not involved. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's all we got so far on this. Oh, actually, there is one more thing. Uh, the foreplay reverse curse that we talked about last week where... We shit on Tiger. Well, basically what we decided was the people we shit on end up doing well, so we want to do that with Tiger. We did that with him. It went well for like three days because he came out with the statement that we talked about before where he's like, I've never, I felt this so good in years and blah, blah, blah. And then he gets a DUI. So what do you think about that? Yeah, it's still unclear if the Tiger Woods reverse curse is working or not. I will say that today was probably a big hit. <laughs> this, but this could just be like stage two. Stage one is him saying he's back, and we're like, all right, it's working. 
stage two could be his downfall, and we're just working it towards going back up. Yeah, like the reverse curse is kind of a long con. It's a long con. Okay. See, I don't hate that. Uh, there's also the theory that, like, bad boy Tiger's back. Yeah, I, I understand that theory. And that, like, oh, we're still on course with the reverse curse. Tiger's on his way back up because he's on his way back down to being, like, the bad boy of golf. He had all kinds of tumultuous shit going on in his life that we didn't know about mm-hmm. when he was playing. Yeah. You know, 2000, whatever, 6, 2007, 2008. He was going all those winning streaks. He was banging all kinds of people. He was a little bit of a bad boy. Yeah. And then he became, he got in trouble. He became <clears throat> publicly a, a, a goody two-shoes and all that. So maybe he's on the bad boy life again. Maybe. All I know is 2006 Tiger does not get arrested in Jupiter, Florida, even if he gets pulled over in the same situation. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. So it might not be the same Look, thing. Look, I said it's probably a hit <laughs> to the reverse curse theory, but it's unconfirmed. Hey, what? I mean, long con. We'll see where it goes from here. Long con. This was just, this was like we took, we you know, you take a couple steps back, took or a couple steps forward, maybe one step back, and we're going to take a bunch more forward. There we go. I like it. All right. On to... Um, the Dean and DeLuca down at Colonial. Um, we're going to start by saying that if you're spending your entire Sunday of uh, the long weekend inside watching the Dean and DeLuca, it's probably not great for you. I would be curious to see the TV ratings for the Dean and DeLuca compared to all the other weekends. Can't be fantastic. Nobody's really sitting inside watching golf during this Especially time. up in the Northeast. We had beautiful uh, weather on Sunday. It was fantastic. It was beautiful in Chicago as well. Oh, that's nice. Beautiful weather. You got a nice three-day weekend. Oh, that's good stuff. But I did watch the highlights, so shout out to me for that. <laughs> uh, Kevin Kisner, who is a stud, he's had some tough losses. He's 0-4 in playoffs, but he was able to uh, – he made like a five-footer on the 72nd hole to uh, to win outright. We had a couple big names. Yeah, there, could have been, up. there was close to being a lot more drama. If yeah. Kisner doesn't make that, it's... Uh, I think it would have been a four-way playoff. Right, with, uh, I mean, Rom, Spieth, and uh, what is it? Sean, Sean O'Hare. O'Hare. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it looked like... Uh, so, it looked like John Rom... Who, that guy? I mean, he's on every fucking... We talk about him every week. He's up there every week. We talk about him every single week. He's him young and in hell. He's, he's a big... Body as we saw at the Masters yes. when we were there, and he has a short little swing, and he fucking pipes the golf ball, which is which must be really nice to be able to do that. I'm already nervous about him in Ryder Cups. Like that's whenever I see John Rahm, I get nervous about him. Yeah, I mean, I don't blame you. He's just that he's going to be a stalwart. That sucks. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I know. I wish you wouldn't have said. That. I know. No, that's when I see John Rahm, and he's he's always on TV because he's one of the hotter players in the world right now. That's all I see. I just see him just like fist pumping in my face during Ryder Cup. He's very gutsy too. He had on uh, on seventeen. He was so he's a couple strokes down on seventeen. He had some tree trouble and hit this gigantic slice to like five or six feet, made it, and then gave himself a chance for bird on the seventy second hole and barely missed that. Uh, so I mean, he's gutsy. He's proved it down the stretch with that eagle at uh, Farmers, the Farmers Insurance mm-hmm. when he won there. So he's a gutsy master that's going to suck playing against him in the Ryder Cup. I wish Trent would have never <laughs> said that. That's my bad. Your boy, Zach Johnson, had a little bit of a meltdown. Yeah. he. Uh, there was no video, which I was frustrated with. Yeah, we just saw the picture that some uh, some gallery person Any, took. Anything that happens like this in the world should be on video now. Everybody's got cell phones. But what, he, he just threw a bunch of clubs everywhere? So the photo showed basically he had like... 
he was on the green and his bag was kind of down by the bunker, the greenside bunker, and his clubs were all over the place. <laughs> he issued like he sent a tweet out being like, you know, I'm 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 better than that, or that was a regrettable moment. But then he also kind of Tiger Woods spin zoned it and was like, well, I was I was just kind of pulling my putter out of my bag and it wouldn't come out, and all the other clubs came out with it. Well, hey, I mean, I'm not here to side with the guy from my own hometown, but I'm going to do it. That's happened to me all the time. You try and pull one club out, the rest go, they spray everywhere. It can happen to anybody. I will say, after you've hit a shitty shot and you're going through the bag struggle of when you yeah. can't get one out, I actually get more frustrated when I can't get the club in. That sucks. When and it's like, it's clearly like way above the cart. It's like, you, yes. You just hit a dog <laughs> shit shot. You're sticking way out like an asshole. And you can't get it in. You're like, yeah. motherfucker. So I guess we'll give ZJ a little bit of love there. Yeah, he's lucky that they didn't get a video of it because he can make up whatever story he wants. Yeah. There's no dash cam footage, footage of that. Yeah, that's fair. I can't believe there's not a video. How that guy who just takes a picture? Yeah, like oh, that's that's the real question. Like who's like, oh, this moment's awesome. I'm going to take a still photo like it's the 1700s. Yeah, and then if you got the video, maybe you see the cat. Is the caddy cleaning up all the clubs? Does he make ZJ do it himself? Yeah, like hey asshole, it was you that threw the clubs. You pick up the clubs. It's basically a Billy Horschel situation from a couple weeks ago. We saw him throw the club, and we're like, oh, Billy Horschel's an asshole. If we had seen it on ZJ, now we just we still don't know. Now we're like, oh, ZJ just had a little trying to pull his putter out trouble. Yeah, that's ha- all we know. Happens to everybody. Yeah, it does. All right, up next we got an interview with uh, a very interesting cat, Oliver Horvitz, who was, uh, so he's been a caddy at St. Andrews for 11 years. He's traveled the world with a bunch of stuff related to golf. Fascinating interview with him. Uh, Trent Daddy was delayed. Yep, I had some travel trouble on my way back from Memorial Day weekend, so my pal Riggs, he took the, took the reins by himself. So yeah, I went one-on-one with Ali. It's very interesting. Everybody enjoy this piece with uh, Caddy, uh, who's been at St. Andrews for 11 years. This interview with Ali Horvitz is brought to you uh, by our friends at Shipsticks. Listen up, we've got some tea and you all are going to be obsessed. We spoke with the Abercrombie team and they told us that they were going to launch a wedding shop. Well, we lost it because as you know, we are both getting ready to get Abercrombie and hitched. The whole vibe of Abercrombie these days is clothes you'd wear for a perfect long weekend and all their customers were like, hey, we spend long weekends traveling for weddings these days. And then Abercrombie was like, we love that. Let us just give you everything you could ever possibly want and love to wear for all things wedding. So they did. It has everything. Tons of dresses, jumpsuits, pants, swimsuits, pajamas, pantsuits, and all perfectly curated for different events, bachelorettes, brunches, showers, ceremonies as a guest and ceremonies as a bride, reception, and even honeymoon. It is incredible. Check out the Abercrombie Wedding Shop on abercrombie.com. Go shop it now. We're now joined by Ali Horovitz, who is, uh, he's got, you're a very interesting cat. I want to do a little quick intro for everybody. Caddy at St. Andrews, Old Course of St. Andrews, for 11 years now, wrote um, a hilarious book called An American Caddy in St. Andrews. You've also written for Sports Illustrated, Golf Digest, Golf World, Architectural Digest, Golf Week, just to name a few. You've got a lot of other interesting life experiences all kind of related to golf from, you know, sand golf in Saudi Arabia. I believe you said you hit a golf ball from the uh, from base of Mount Everest. So we're going to get into all of that. First of all, what's going on, man? Uh, it's good to be here, man. Thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, uh, obviously you want to get into the St. Andrews stuff first, but you know, you're an American guy. You obviously wrote the book literally called an American caddy 
in St. Andrews. You're from New England originally. Talk about kind of how you started to get into golf as a kid. Sure, yeah. From Gloucester, Mass. originally, about an hour north of Boston. And, uh, and I started caddying when I was, uh, I think, 12 years old. And, uh, and I started playing golf when I was nine, so I loved it. Um, but it was golf every summer in Gloucester, Massachusetts. Learned to play golf hitting a uh, Nerf ball in uh, the middle of Gloucester High School field at a summer camp program. And, uh, you know, I was so small I couldn't play any other sport, so golf was my thing. So you're, I'm just going to be the golf guy. I'm going to whack this little Nerf ball around and see what That's right. Yeah, I couldn't get, like, beat up or hurt playing golf by other people, <laughs> so that was my thing. Uh, so how then, as, you know, a young kid in, uh, in Gloucester, Mass., with the roots there, do you end up in St. Andrews, of all places? Sure. So my mom's English, and her uncle, my great-uncle, uh, Ken Hayward, lived in St. Andrews for 50 years. So we, we always knew Uncle Ken as this hilarious old eccentric guy with a lot of sweaters and a lot of tweed jackets, and he <laughs> was town councilor in St. Andrews for like the 60s and 70s. He was a local politician there. Wow, so you've always had kind of a, a pretty strong little connection to St. Andrews. That's right, yeah. So we started going over there probably when I was like 12 or 13. And, um, and then it really took a turn when I was, uh, when I was 17 because I was on the wait list to get into Harvard for college. And, um, and I got in, but I got in on a deferred admission. So I had to take a gap year before I could start, and I did that gap year at University of St. Andrews and I played on the golf team there, and I had the best year ever. And then at the end of that year, I decided to stick around and start caddying that summer on the old course, and that's when the whole kind of adventure started. I cannot even – I cannot explain to you how jealous I am here, <laughs> every one of our fucking listeners is that you did just a full year at St. Andrews. I'll tell you one thing. Our, our coach had no – sorry, our golf team had no coach. We had no adult supervision. We met once a week at a pub called the Gin House. Jesus. And we had 25 kids with a two handicap or better on the golf team. Jesus. Well, how do you even get that many? How, where do they come from? It's something about Scotland. It's in the drinking water. Every kid starts playing golf when they're like three years old in Scotland. It's like, you know, it's like basketball or baseball or football over here. So just everyone plays. And um, everyone was like English or Irish or Scottish on the golf team. We had a, we had a match once my freshman year against this, uh, this American college. I think it was Clark University. And on the first tee, our, our club captain, who is this sort of party animal from northern England, uh, he shows up on the first tee sleepless, hungover, and still in a tuxedo from the night before. Jesus. And he, <laughs> he hit his opening drive 270 down the middle and won his match 7-6. and six. God, that is awesome. What a Yeah, legend. I was like, you're a lot cooler than I'm ever going to be. Yeah, no shit. So I've heard, I had a buddy that, uh, that was over there and did one year of college golf as well, and he basically made it sound like, you guys would go, and whenever you play, um, you know, you go play another school or whatever, that you'd be like matches in the morning, lunch, and people would drink and then go back out? You get into coat and tie, and then you do a lunch, and you sit at the table with your playing partners, and, uh, and it's a little boozy, and then you go play again. And uh, we had one of those matches against uh, some Scott, I think it was Sterling University, and I knew the kid I was playing against was a three handicap. But I didn't know where he played on the first year. I was like, so where are you with three? And he was like, oh, Carnoustie, Jeez. which is like the hardest golf course in Scotland. I was like, oh, my God, I'm screwed. And he, he killed me. Yeah, well, let me ask you this, too, because isn't the rumor that, you know, a three over there would be like a plus one or two handicap here? No, that's right. There, you know, the, the main thing is when you get over there, you realize the wind is such a factor over there. Like we had... 
we had a round that I caddied in in 2011. It was, this is going to sound like I'm making this up, but this is totally true. It was 70 miles an hour on the new course that day in St. Andrews, gusting in parts of Fife to 100. Jesus. How now, do you even over play here, golf? that's a hurricane. In St. Andrews, there was no cancellations, no refunds. We were like Sherpas going up Mount Everest. Oh, how do you, I mean, what do you just, you're just guessing at that point? I went into a downward, you know, depression cycle for those four hours, and I was in a very dark place for four hours. I don't think I spoke to my golfer the entire time. So, all right, so let's, many of our listeners, myself included, you know, we've never been to Scotland. We've never golfed over there. We hope to someday. Sure. When you roll up as kind of a typical, you know, American amateur golfer, what's the first experience going to be like for somebody like us? Well, the first, the first time you get to the old course, it's a very crazy scene because there's a lot of movement. There's a lot of activity. The first tee shot is down the widest fairway in golf. It's 129 yards from end to end. It's really the first and the 18th fairway. So it's really it's almost impossible to miss, uh, even though Ian Baker Finch did that exact thing in 1990. I think he, <laughs> he duck-hooked his opening drive, and it went out of bounds. Oh, man, that's tough. Yeah, so he went, what, OB left on 18, like the other side of 18? That's right. It went through the thing. He claims a gust of wind came up, but I don't know. That's um, a serious gust one. of wind. But, it, it, you know, it, it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's scary, but it's certainly intimidating because you've got caddies watching you. You've got the starter who used to be a really hilarious guy named JJ was the starter for like 20 years. Um, and everyone's watching you, and you've got four caddies in your group and four golfers, so it's at least eight people in your group, and you just got to take a deep breath and, and hit. We have, a, we have a saying on the old course, you've got to keep it left the whole time. Because left is always good, right is where all the bunkers are. We say, we say, uh, left is right and right is shite. That's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. So how? I mean, how true is it? Because the you just constantly hear that you cannot keep your ball on the ground enough. That's the best thing in the world that you can do over there. How true is that? Like, if I'm going over there and I'm hitting, you know, trying to sky a nine iron in there, is, is everyone there just going to laugh at me? Oh my! It took it took me a month to figure out really how because you know when I was playing on the golf team, it took it really took about a month to figure out how to play golf over there. I mean, it's a sand based fairway, so if you take too much of a divot, it's not going to be like over here. It's going to just chunk, and so <laughs> I would say fifty percent of the guys on the first fairway will chunk it. For their second shot, it's it's harder over there. The bunkers are deep, the wind is blowing, the ball doesn't spin into the greens. So you know, for guys who 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 are there for a week, I always try to get everyone to play the old course not first, but like in the middle of your trip or maybe even at the end, because it, it takes at least a couple rounds to get to get used to it. Yeah, when you're when you're gonna you know finally take your stroll around the old course, you want to be you know you want to be playing your best over there. That's right, um, but you know I. I got to say that the main thing out playing the old course is uh, you just want someone who's having fun. Like it, the most fun kind of rounds are when the guy is just beaming the whole way around and he'll say something like, you know, I never thought I'd make it to St. Andrews. But I've had 70 year old guys who've just started crying on like the second hole because <laughs> they, they literally never thought they'd make the trip. And, and I got to say that's, that's part of the job that, that we love as caddies is you, you basically are caddying for men and women that, for a lot of them are having the best five hours of their lives. Like maybe the birth of their son, maybe their daughter's wedding, whatever. But like for a lot of them, these five hours, it's like it gets no better. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so how do you, how many, how many rounds do you think you've caddied out there? Or oh combination of caddied and played? It's a good question. It's definitely in the high hundreds. 
uh, might be 700, 800. I don't, you know, I've caddied there for 11 years now. I, I think I missed five days of golf the whole year I was at St. Andrews as a student. Um, and in the shack, that's nothing. Because there are guys <laughs> that have caddied there since they're 13 years old, and now they're, you know, 60, 65. And uh, the, the thing that really I love about the, uh, the shack and the caddies is that the expertise of these guys is mind-blowing. Like, inside those four walls of the caddy shack, that's, for me, that's the mecca of golf. Because people like Jimmy Reed, who know the greens better than any other guy, people like Dave Sharp, people like Stevie Jones, who just caddied for Barack Obama when Obama played here three days ago. Yep. It said, Andrews, these guys, for me, it gets no cooler than that. Those are my heroes in the shack. I can't even imagine what that circle is like. The stories that got to be bouncing around in there just have to be unbelievable. And you know what's cool is that we get, you know, we get everyone coming over to play. Like, you know, uh, it's just titans of industry, presidents, leaders. And, you know, for, for all of these guys out there, it's not like you're you – know, I caddy for Huey Lewis every year in the Dunhill. He's, um, you know, he's, just an ama- he's a six handicap, but he's like a tournament six, so he's really, really good. Okay. And so, we've, you know, we've had, like, Bill Murray is in our group a couple of years ago. We've is, had Andy is Bill Garcia. Murray out there as Bill, like, as Bill Murray as he seems all Murray. the time? <laughs> it's five hours of the Bill Murray show. <laughs> yeah, because at the AT&T, he's the same. I mean, he's just – He's exactly like the same here. The and the cool thing is when you're caddying for these guys, you're not just – you know, you're not just meeting them. You're doing battle with them. It's like when we have, we have this guy, Bruce Sorley, and he's caddying for Tiger. Uh, he caddied for Tiger in the, uh, in the British Amateur when Tiger was over there. He didn't just meet Tiger. He was part of Tiger's team. Like, Tiger was relying on him for every single putt read, yardage, wind judgment. And that's the coolest thing because they're just, uh, you know, it, it's an, it's another golfer for us. It's another guy we're steering around. Yeah, and it's crazy. I mean, you mentioned, too, that you've been in the same uh, – you've caddied – I think this is right – in the same group with Rory, too, right? Oh, yeah, 2011. So what's what's Rory like out there? He's the nicest guy ever. He was so cool. He, he learned every single person's first name on the first tee, and he remembered all of our names after. So he, he literally said, like, thanks a lot, Ollie, on the, uh, the 18th green. That's awesome. Like, he did not have to learn my name. That's really, really cool. Yeah, um, that goes a I'll long tell, way. I'll tell you, the other thing I remember from it is his iron shots, the sound of his irons. I've never heard that sound before or since. Yeah, I was going to ask you, is his swing as majestic in person as it is on TV? It's unbelievable. The third hole, he holds out his shot from 135 yards in the middle of the fairway. <laughs> and you're just like, oh. I turned to Hugh and I was like, okay, we're having a weird afternoon right now. <laughs> so... You've, you know, let's say seven, eight hundred rounds. You've, you've been out there. How much different is your understanding of the old course now than it was when you first got out there? It's, it's a lot different. I mean, you learn basically a lot of patterns. You see that you see patterns develop that you're just not going to see if you play it once. So things like I'd say the biggest thing I've learned from uh, from all the rounds out there is you got to be long on the old course on your approach shots, with very few exceptions. If, you, if you're between clubs, you hit the longer club. Maybe not, not on 17 on the road hole, not on 11 the par 3, but on almost every single approach shot you want to be long. If you're short, you are basically putting up a huge, uh, a huge hill for your third shot. And that's so counterintuitive to any American golf. I mean, almost right. 99% of the holes we play, if you go long, you're dead. That's right. And so it's just you start seeing all these weird things. And, 
and uh, you start you start really getting to know the greens. I mean, I know them pretty well now, but again, it's nothing like a lot of the guys who've been there forever. Um, and the more you caddy and the more you hang out with these guys in the shack, the more you want to learn. So you start, you know, you start studying your yardage books whenever you can. And, you know, for me, it's just these guys are, are my heroes. And they're, you know, I, I love to think of them as my friends. I hope they consider me their friend. And uh, each summer I go across for, you know, another season of caddying, it becomes more and more important to me. It's really St. Andrews has played a really big part of my life, and it's always going to be a part of my life for sure. So the place has, you know, it's got roots in being 500-plus years old. It's stood the test of time and still hosts, you know, a major championship every five years, the Dunhill every year. Bobby Jones has basically said, you know, you could take away every other experience of my life and just add St. Andrews. And That's right. Well, he actually had ever. a little tough time at the old course, his first ever visit, because 1921, he's playing his first ever open at St. Andrews, and he shoots a 46 on the front, he doubled 10, and then at 11, he went in uh, what's called Hill Bunker, H-I-L-L, and apparently what happened next is he took three swings, couldn't get his ball out of the bunker, and he stepped walked out, off the course, ripped up his he? scorecard, and walked off the golf course. <laughs> <laughs> it's a true story. So they now call it Bobby Jones Bunker. Oh, that's yeah. If you got a bunker named after you there, I, it's I guess you're Bobby Jones. It's great, but it's that's it, right. It could be bad. We've got uh, we've got Hell Bunker as well on the 14th, and Jack went in there in '95, Nicholas, yep. and uh, he made a 10. And apparently he was getting grilled by the media after, and someone. A reporter asked him, like, how the hell do you make a 10? He said, I missed a putt for a 9. <laughs> right? So <laughs> you've got these guys that go over there, and they, you know, at first they they don't love it. They don't like love it as much as they do now. And then by the time they get to the end of their career, I mean, Nicholas, you know, he played his last professional round there. These guys rave about just how magical and amazing it is. Like, what, what is it about that place that just it turns everybody, and by the end of their career they're like, that's the greatest place on earth? That's a great point. It, it grows on you every single time. I got to be honest with you. It's it's the most fun golf course I've ever played. There's uh, there's at least three drivable par fours. You hit on on seventeen over a shed. You have a green on five and thirteen, a shared green, which is ninety six yards from front to back. It's it's almost an acre. Like what other golf course has those things? It's like it, a circus. It's really, it's unlike any other golf course you'll play. Uh, one another thing that people were really shocked to hear: there's only four single greens on the entire golf course. So one, nine, seventeen, and eighteen are your only singles, and everything else is a shared double green. So two is with sixteen, three is with fifteen on each green. The two double pins add up to eighteen. Jesus. Yeah, that's the dorky piece of info you now know. Oh, I, I like it. That's why we got you here. You've got uh, you got people hitting at you on every single hole. You're going to hear the shout of four. Every single hole, just about. It's like target golf sometimes. Um, every every year we have a caddy or two that are that are hit. Um, it just it's just going to happen. Okay. Uh, hit, I've gotten hit I think twice so far. <laughs> we had a caddy named Alistair Taylor who got hit in the head about five years ago. This is a, a, one of my favorite guys, skinny guy, and he gets hit in the head. He's about sixty five years old. and He goes down. Another caddy runs up to him, and his name's Doogie, and he goes, Alistair, Alistair, you okay? And Alistair's like laid out on the ground. He looks up at Doogie and he goes, just make sure I get paid. <laughs> then he goes back down. We, we thought that was classic caddy uh, behavior. That's okay. I can see you guys are hardened over there. You can, you're just, you want that paycheck. You're good to go. You know, um, so I was saying before Obama played uh, the course three days ago and 
a couple of my buddies were in the group, including Steve Jones, who caddied for him, and they, they said he's just the coolest guy ever. They said he was like having such a great time. Oh, I bet um, he's soaking. Well, he's soaking up life right now. He's living the dream. He's loving it. Yep, he was smiling the entire way around. So I, I missed that round, unfortunately, because I'm still in New York right now. But uh, a couple years ago, I was caddying on the course with some English guys, and suddenly I get a text message that Bill Clinton's just teed off. And uh, I'm like, oh, my God. So on 6, we, we see him on 12 because the two holes share. And I turn to my guys, and I was like, guys, i got to go say hi to my president. I'm sorry. I'll be right back. And I run over to him. And as I'm running, I'm like, okay, what do I call him? What do I call him? Do I call him Mr. President? Which, in hindsight, yes, that's what you call him. And <laughs> right. I was like, oh, no, no, I can't call him that. So I'm like, do I call him Mr. Clinton? I get over there, and I yell, uh, Bill, oh. and, which was so embarrassing. <laughs> and, uh, and he looks over, and he's like, He's like, hey, man, what are you doing here? I'm like, oh, can I, can I get a photo with you? Apparently, as I was running over, one of the caddies told me his Secret Service guys see me running, and they looked at each other like, oh, shit, what's, about, what's happening? <laughs> you must uh, yeah, I mean, you're running like in a malicious way? Uh, well, I was just running quickly. I was very excited. <laughs> Naturally. Uh, so I got to ask you this. What is the, what's the town of St. Andrews like? Because for me, I feel like if I had to pick one place in the world, basically, mm-hmm. To go, like, check out a pub for the night by myself, it would be St. Andrews. You've got a lot of choices because we have 31 pubs. We have more per capita than anywhere else in the entire United States. It's just not very big. It's not. It's for, about, for basically three main streets, we've got 31 pubs. And uh, it's, it's serious over there. You'll get asked by other people very seriously, where do you do your drinking? It's, like, it's a real question. It's like, it's like an allegiance to where you yeah, go drink? Right. It, but it's 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 you know it's such a cool place. Everyone plays golf there. Um, you'll see a little old lady walking down the street, and she's a member of the ladies' putting club. So she plays on the Himalayas every Wednesday in the most competitive game in town. The average age is like eighty nine. Uh, all your taxi drivers are like three handicaps. Jesus. It's uh, it's a town where people know what your handicap is. They know if you have a good short game. It's weirdly the currency by which you win respect in the town is your golf. Um, I don't think I've ever met uh, people in a different part of the world where it's like that. I don't think I've ever been in a town where everyone's as obsessed with a game that I love. So it's re- and it's also really cool because it's, uh, it's a university town. So the university is a humongous part of, of the town of St. Andrews. And Prince William was there. He was a junior when I was a freshman, so uh, so when I was there, female applications to the university had like skyrocketed. <laughs> that makes sense. Well, let's get into what's the what's the toughest ever caddy round you've had. Ooh, okay. There's there's one that that comes to mind because I you know most of my golfers are are great, and again, most people are just really happy there at St. Andrews and playing the course. But I had one guy who right off the bat I knew I was in for the toughest round of my life because he's right off the bat rigs questioning everything like lines off tees putt reads and on the second green i remember we had a 12 foot putt and i call it uh inside left i think it's gonna move a little bit left to right he pulls the hell out of the putt and it finishes a foot and a half left and he spins around and he goes that move left that move left this old scottish caddy comes up behind us and goes sir that putt hasn't moved left in 600 years <laughs> I was like, yes, I've got a big brother in the shack. Yeah, and you're like, it's going to be one of those days with this guy. <laughs> that's right. So they, they will, caddies will come to your aid if, uh, if it's uh, required. That's, that's good to know. You guys are all, you got each other's back out there. <laughs> we, we definitely do. And, uh, 
you know, and the great thing about the course is you're seeing your friends on every single green because they're shared greens and you're seeing them on every fairway. So as you go around the course, you're seeing the whole shack within the four hours of your round. And for me, the, the, probably the two most fun rounds every summer is the first round I get back. You're seeing all your friends on that first round and everyone's like, oh, my God, you know, you're back. What's up? What the hell are you doing here? <laughs> And so you're seeing all your friends, and then the last round of every summer before I go back to America, it's like a farewell, and you get to say bye to your friends. And, and uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty cool every year to sort of see a lot of the, the same faces there and to see, meet the new people. And, you know, it's like this is going to be year 12 coming up, and it's, you know, it's a big number for me. But, again, in the shack, it's, that's nothing. <laughs> so i got to ask you, you pretty boldly tried to start a little caddy program, I believe, called Caddy Models. Oh yeah, Mo- model caddying. Yeah, that's. Um, yeah, I was hoping you weren't going to bring that up. <laughs> oh well, we can cut it if you don't want to talk about it. That's that's uh, that's in the book. That was the summer uh, of 2005, and there was a um, there was a, a model caddy program that was uh, just been started in the university, and I was their secret trainer. But you got to read the book to find out uh, what what goes down to that. That little teaser. That's smart. Uh, All right, so let's get into some of your kind of your global golf experiences. Sure. You just recently came back from Australia. That's right. I was was in South Australia writing a Condé Nast travel article about um, golf uh, in the Australian outback. And so I heard about this course called Nullarbor Lynx, and uh, it takes a while to play because it's 850 miles long. That's preposterous. Every hole is in a different town, so it takes five days to play. You're basically driving 100 miles between holes. And so I went out there with my buddy Miles, and we, uh, we played this course. And it, the most important thing, besides using yellow golf balls so you can see where your ball is, you've got to watch out for snakes because they're called, de- they're called death adders. And they're in just about most of the bushes. And before you go even looking for your ball, you've got to make loud sounds. Because if you get bit by one of these, you are probably not making it to the next hole. Gee, so, I mean, that is, that is pretty treacherous. Snakes, <laughs> I don't mess with It was with really snakes. fun. It, I, shot, uh, I shot 112. Um, so probably the worst round I've probably had in 20 years. <laughs> but it, uh, you know, it's hard because you're, you're playing in dirt. You're playing in red sand. I probably lost 15 golf balls, which didn't help. Nope. And, uh, and it's awesome because you're, you're driving this really cool, iconic highway. It's kind of like Route 66 for Australia. And you're playing with hippie Australian house painters who are playing shirtless and like with suspenders and sandals. We played with one guy who was on a 1450cc Harley Davidson night train. And he had welded a pipe on the front of his motorcycle to hold three of his golf clubs. And I was like, this is Jack Nicholas meets Easy Rider. Yeah, what a savage <laughs> that guy is. And we're playing with all these people. And the common thread, Riggs, is they just love golf. And they're, they're here doing this crazy, crazy ad- adventure, A, because it's fun, and B, because they love golf. And, you know, one of the things I discovered there, which I loved, because, you know, in Scotland, golf is not an elitist sport. Golf is very of the people in Scotland. Right. And I, one of the, the, the things you discover in Australia is there's a tradition. It's called scrapes courses, scrapes courses. And they are um, sand golf courses 
that costs about five bucks to play. There's hundreds of them all over Australia, and they have sand greens with oil on them, so they're black greens. And they're, again, all over Australia, and you play in flip-flops, and it's just there's a beer waiting for you at the end of the round, and people have grown up playing on these scrapes courses. So, I, you know, I'd never heard of that over here. No, I've never heard of that either. Right? So, so it, was, it was a really cool experience. It was a great introduction to those scrapes courses. And uh, the only scary part of the whole experience was the second night of driving, um, I hit a wombat with our car. So that was not fun. Probably not fun for the wombat either. Um, we're just lucky he didn't go into the windshield and uh, and end our trip right there. Yeah, it sounds like you had you encountered plenty of wildlife down there. People basically tell you don't drive at night because the kangaroos come out at night. And again, some of these courses they have hundreds of kangaroos on them. And we were like, yeah, right, you know, okay, we'll we'll be fine. And they're like, no, seriously, don't drive at night. You know, like that is the stupidest thing you could possibly do. And we had to drive at night for the first three nights. And again, that wombat really showed us that's probably not a good thing to do. I mean, Australia, Australia's it's the it's the wild outback out there. That's right. It was it was great though. And um, and before we uh, we did that, we went cage diving with great white sharks, which was uh, probably the scariest thing I've ever done in my life. God, I mean that's a hell <laughs> that's a hell of a trip. It so, was good. So now let's compare this to you. Also went sand golfing in Saudi Arabia. Is that right? Yeah, so um, I did a book talk in uh, in Udalia, Saudi Arabia, and discovered there's a golf course there, and it's uh, a lot of the workers for Saudi Aramco on the base, and it is 114 degrees at nine in the morning, so you got to play pretty early if you want to get your round in, and these guys are obsessed with golf, and I asked one of them like, so how often do you play out here? He's like, oh, you know, not not too bad, like eight times a week, like dead seriously. <laughs> In Saudi Arabia? That's right. And again, it's a, they don't call them greens. They call them browns because, again, it's a mixture of sand and oil on the green. And i got to be honest with you, it rolls pretty good. The, the oil really – you get a little check into the green when you, when you hit it good with your irons. That is stunning. So it was cool. I, you know, what, what like 7,000 miles away from America, and people are playing golf, and they all know St. Andrews, and they all are, like, hanging on every word about St. Andrews. And that – that was a, a moment where I, was, where I really realized, like, yes, this is uh, all over the globe. People know St. Andrews, and it's an important thing for people. Well, that that was, really I was going to cool. say, too, is just golf. It's, you know, it really is global, and it really translates. I would have never guessed you'd be in Saudi Arabia and find a golf course, not to mention a whole crew of guys or whoever that are playing golf all the time. That's right, and it was the same thing last year. So last year I went to Nepal um, to climb Everest Base Camp, and, uh, and I ended up writing a piece for Lynx Magazine about golf in Nepal, because when I was setting up the trip, we realized, oh my God, there's six golf courses in Nepal. It's Himalayan golf. So we played at Royal Nepal Golf Club Rigs, which is right about, it's 11 seconds outside of the international terminal of the airport. <laughs> You're just like literally on the first tee as soon as you leave the airport. And there's hundreds of monkeys on Royal Nepal. They steal your golf ball if it's too shiny. So all of the members play with old golf balls so that the monkeys won't steal them. Now, if the monkeys suddenly run away, that's really bad because that means a leopard is coming. God. That's golf in Nepal. So so was over there, played at Royal Nepal, went and played at a course called, called Himalayan Golf Club, which has the scariest, 
hole I've ever played in my life. It's called the Abyss. It's the 16th hole. It's a par three over a thousand foot drop. So if you shank your shot, you have a you have a thousand foot second shot up the hill. <laughs> it was That's terrifying. Uh, so I I mean a thousand feet. I feel like it's one of those. Uh, it sounds like one of those fake courses in like the Tiger Woods video game. That's right. It was like exactly. It was the fantasy course in uh, Golden Tee Golf. Yeah, right. And That's... and there's water buffalo literally eating the grass, and and they're the original. Um, you know, they're the original groundskeepers on the course. So you're playing next to water buffalo. Hawks are flying over you. Uh, there's a hole called Leopard's Lair, which is definitely for real leopards, and it's you know it's a really different kind of golf. You know, I've seen a lot with St Andrews, but this was even even crazier. So um, you've you've also hit a ball from the base camp of Mount Everest. I gotta ask you, how far do you think you hit it? Yeah, you know, I, I was I was hearing from everybody. Oh my God, you're gonna hit it so far. I, I could barely get the tee in the ground. I was so tired by the time I got up there. I was having trouble breathing because it's 17,600 feet. And uh, I, it w- was really low, and it went into a crevasse. And I was going to go try to get it because I didn't want to litter on, you know, on base camp. And my Sherpa guide, Gelsen, said to me, if you go into that crevasse, you die. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm not going to go in the I crevasse. I guess I'm going to leave my ball over there. So i got to be honest, I hit it like 111 yards. It was, oh, that's, it was so, not very good. that's so disappointing. Come on, man. <laughs> it was very disappointing. The, the thing was, as I was teeing up, I look to my right, and everyone who's about to go up to the top of Everest is in their tents, like, getting ready. And my one thought was, please don't slice this and, and hurt somebody. Like, this is, not, this is not good if you do that. Your karma is going to be really messed up. So I was more focused on not hurting somebody. That's fair. I mean, I can respect that. I, it would have been nicer if you would have hit it farther, but I can respect <laughs> that. Uh, so I want to ask you, I think we're about ready to wrap up here, but I want to ask what the uh, – What's the highest score you've ever seen posted on the road hole? Oh, my God. There have been some high ones. Um, the, the road hole is uh, – I got one story to tell you about the road hole. Do you okay. know about the Jigger Pub? The Jigger Pub. No. Or the Jigger Inn is the official name. It's a pub right on the 17th fairway. Okay. And there's a game that uh, you can play, and the locals will play it. The university kids sometimes play It's called the Jigger Challenge. And so here's how it goes. You stop in the jigger um, after hitting your second shot into the green. You quickly stop if you have time, and you help yourself to a certain number of pints. Now, the number is up to you, but you then have to play 18 in fewer strokes than the number of pints you had. So if you had six pints, you got to make a five on 18 to win the jigger challenge. Wow. It's a very tough game to win. I have never won it. Uh, yeah, I mean, how many people win it? <laughs> like uh, it's been done. The St. Andrews University kids are definitely up for a challenge like that, and it's been attempted quite frequently. Uh, and those... so that's led to some very high scores on 18 because it brings you to a dark, swirling place very, very quickly. Do, do those kids, I mean, they're going to school there, are they just playing St. Andrews all the time? Here's the thing, Riggs. If you're a student at University of St. Andrews, you get unlimited play on all seven golf courses, including the old course, for the whole year, for the equivalent of $160. That is ridiculous. It's the best deal in golf. And so kids are, you know, they're playing golf every single day. Your classes are with 
hilarious old Scottish professors with like impenetrable accents. And then after your class, you're going to play the old course. So it's not too late for people to apply as grad students. Why would anybody go anywhere else? That's what, I'm, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, our producer, Sunshine's like, he's filling out his application right yeah, now. Yeah, I'm going back right now. <laughs> I will try to write you a recommendation. I don't know if that will help you, but I will, uh, I will attest. I appreciate that. Uh, all right, Ali. Well, that's it from us, man. We really appreciate you sitting down. You got a, uh, you got a really interesting story, and I think a lot of us are pretty jealous of what you do. Thanks so much, man. When you come over to St. Andrews next, I'll caddy for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start booking my trip right now. Done. All right, man. Take care. Thank you. That interview with Ali Horovitz was brought to you by our friends. The High Noon El Prez Pack is here, featuring my top four High Noon Vodka Celtic flavors. These flavors include passion fruit, pineapple, pear, and all-new flavor, tangerine, all made with real vodka, real juice. This 12-pack is only here for a limited time, so get it while you can. Just look for the pack with my face on it. You can even scan the QR code in the pack and have me virtually join your party. Visit HighNoonSpirits.com to find the El Prez Pack nearest you. That was a great little chat with Allie. Uh, everybody make sure to check out his book, An American Caddy at St. Andrews. Uh, it's supposed to be, uh, it's very funny, but it's also got really interesting stories. And it's it's just, it's everything that you would probably write if you went and worked at St. Andrews for 11 years, coming up on 12 years Yep. for Allie now, which must be nice. Also, a little uh, shout out to our friends at Wilson as well. They sent me the Wilson staff. FG Tour V6 irons. Woo, girl! This uh, I am very excited about those. <laughs> I have needed new irons for a long time, so shout out to our guys for those. They're maybe uh, some of the sexiest things I've ever seen. Yep. See along that with a Triton driver, you're rocking. We're on to everybody's uh, favorite segment from the gallery. Yep. We- I'm going to take this first one because it's, uh, it's about golf courses and dogs. It's right up your alley, And anybody Trent. who follows me on Twitter knows I'm a big dog guy. So if you have dogs, uh, send them my way. If you have dogs on golf courses, definitely send them my way. Trent likes uh, good boys. I love good. I like good boys. I like good girls. I like good pups. True. It's good times. It's nice. And I just get to look at dogs all day. It's pretty. Yeah, good you game. really <laughs> contrived some. <laughs> it's really interesting system here. It's it's pretty good. So uh, somebody writes in, don't have their name, which is fine. Uh, golf courses that allow dogs. Do we know any courses that allow dogs on the course with you? And thoughts on courses that allow dogs? I got to tell you. I don't think I've ever been to a golf course with a dog or seen a dog on a golf course. That's not to say that I have never been to a course that allows dogs or doesn't allow dogs. I've just never seen it. So it's a great idea, though. I've actually never I've, – I've seen dogs running around on a course, usually with, like, an old man that lives nearby who's, like, taking strolls on the course and stuff like that. Yeah. I have also I, – uh, I've brought a dog to a course before and just not told anybody. That seems like the thing to do. And just played around the golf with my pup. Here's my next question for you. So around New York, I've seen people walking around with their dogs, not on a leash, and the dog just follows them around, which I think is the coolest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you take your dog out there, what is the, what's the go-to plan? Because if you just if it needs a leash, it's just going to run wild. Well, she at the time it depends it depends fully on their training level. Yeah, so what was your you, dog at? Uh, not nah, she's very young at the time, so no. But she got to the point where. Uh, Later, I took her, and she was good enough to like not go chasing the balls around. Which is that's the hardest part is that they see a dog a ball get hit, and they yeah. just run after it as fast they can, and like around the greens and stuff. So one of the moves that I made um, was to essentially keep her on a leash, but then just tie the leash around like the edge of the cart every time you would like go 
to the green or something like that. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. So, like, let her kind of run alongside the cart with the leash and stuff when you're yeah. driving around. Or if you're walking and then, like, when you're on the green so she doesn't fuck with everybody while they're playing. Yeah. Tie her up. I don't think I – I don't hate the idea of the ball – of the dog going after the balls if you, like, lose a ball and then you they find it for you. If you can train them that way – obviously, you don't want them going after every ball because it would be, like, too much. But if they can find the ball that you lose, I think that's worth it. Well, there's a theory that you could put, like, you could um, dip your balls in, like, a little bit of a scent I beforehand. Dip, I always dip my balls in a scent. <laughs> always. Dip, dip your golf balls in a little bit of a scent and then – your dog chases only your ball, and then instead of, like, just going and grabbing it and ruining and everything, you can teach it like a bird hunting dog where they just point. Is that a it. thing, or did you just make that scent thing up? Do people do that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. I like that a lot. So the dog thing, this is not the first time for the dog thing. However, I've very rarely seen it. I'm surprised that you haven't seen it more because you're from a rural, you know, yeah, I, I cannot tell you one time that I saw a dog out on a golf course. I feel like city courses, you're never going to see this shit, but way out in the boonies, like people probably like you go golfing with all kinds of fucking animals. I'm all for it. Anytime you can put a dog into a situation that it wasn't in before, I'm all for it. So if people want to start bringing more dogs and more golf courses, I could not be more in. And golf, if you're just combining golf and puppies, dogs, yeah. I mean, it's a win win. I really love the idea of going out there and. The dog follows you, not on a leash. Because when I see that happen around New York, I'm like, that's fucking awesome. Well, it's a, it's a like a power dog owner. Like, I'm the fucking man because my dog knows exactly what to do without me having to say anything, put it on a leash, anything. Yeah, it's it's but it's also the dog, too. The dog's like, I'm cool enough. I don't have to be like, you don't have to tell me. You don't have to drag me, literally drag me around the city. I can just hang around. I know getting what I'm doing. Like, yeah, like I'm not getting leashed around like you are. Yeah, you look at bitch. you. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's like a power move to the other dogs. All right. I like that. <laughs> uh Next one, this guy says, uh, so it's basically about mid-round rain beers. With So he's on a vacation playing part three course with his old man. Torrential downpour uh, traps him in the middle of the course without a cart, which has happened to me a couple times, actually. Mm -hmm. You're kind of just fucked out there. Said instead of playing, just sat in a tree, finished a 12-pack with my dad. Was this actually better than playing the round? Yes. I think so, too. Because it's your dad. Because it's your dad, because sitting and drinking beers, you're outside. It's, I, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Also, I think that because sitting, just chilling in the middle of somewhere when there's no one else around and it's raining all around you and Mm -hmm. you're just drinking beers is incredible. On top of that, like, if it was just with one of your buddies, like, eh, maybe, like, you'd rather just be golfing because, like, see your buddies all the time, whatever. With your dad, like, you're probably, I don't think everybody gets to, like, just drink with their dad all the time. No. Especially us. We live in New York. Yeah. And our we, parents don't live around here. They sure don't. I mean, if I can just crush a 12-pack with my dad with what, who who knows going on around me, and no, but nobody else bothering us, yeah, that's way better than playing the round of golf. Oh, 100%. Did you play a lot of golf with your dad growing up? A little bit, yeah. But he doesn't play that much anymore because he can't, he, like, hates being bad at things. Oh, and he doesn't play golf that much. So when he does play, he's not very good. And yeah, he just like he's like, I don't, I hate being bad at stuff. It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so like maybe once, maybe once, once to twice a year, I play golf with my dad. That's okay. It. Yeah, my dad still plays all the time. He's like, he's. I mean, he's a pretty good golfer now because he plays so much. So he just goes out there. They go to Arizona for the winter months, okay. and he plays like every single day. So when I, whenever I go back now, I'm gonna play with him. So that sounds lovely. It does sound lovely. That's so. 
That's from the gallery. Remember, if you got any submissions, email us, foreplay at barstoolsports.com. Send me, send me golf dogs. <laughs> send golf dogs to us and more specifically to Trent. Yeah. He loves them. He will retweet them. We'll put them on Instagram. Golf dogs. We had a couple of good ones this week of some pups reading greens. There was one, yeah, of, of a dog like reading. The, yeah, it's, I, it's what I uh, mutts reading putts. Oh yeah, that was. I was really happy with that. That's a good one. Came right out of my brain and onto the internet. That might catch on. You never know. I hope it does because again, that's just more dog pictures. You just never know. Um, this week we've got the memorial at Mirfield Village, Jack's place. Mm-hmm. This is. Uh, I like watching this track again. This is one of those tournaments that. Has always been on everybody's radar. Well, obviously, it's Jack, Jack Nicholas, those types of tournaments with Jack, Arnie, Byron Nelson, where you've got these legends. People are going to turn out, and they always do. Tiger would always play here when he wasn't in jail or have a fucked up back. So it's one of those tourneys that's always on your radar. You circle it on the calendar. It means a lot. I love this course. Yeah. It's a sick course. Uh, I think it's the 16th that's kind of modeled after the 12th at Augusta. Uh, so I'm looking forward to it. It's, I think we got Rory pulled out. However, I did or he, see was that. he was he just already out, or did he pull out? I think I saw he, that he pulled out. Okay, so um, he's what's he's, is he just going to come back for the U.S. Open? I, that's what it's looking like. He's been dealing with this rib back injury for a long time now. So that's a little sad. It is sad, but I'm guessing he's just planning a U.S. I think he even said he's just shooting for the U.S. Open. You think Tiger's going to be a storyline? Like, are they going to touch it on it during the coverage of the U.S. Open? No, no, oh, no, of, no. The, of the memorial. Of the memorial. Oh, um, yeah. Like, I don't know if it'll... Eh. Part of me thinks they'll go complete, like, blinders on. You think so? Yeah. I was a little surprised at how much they were covering it on the Golf Channel today, just because, I mean, you think that, like, they don't want to... They don't want to piss him off and, like... Yeah. But I guess you have to. Yeah, I, don't, we don't, I know we talked about Tiger, so we don't have to keep talking about it, but he just... A story like that transcends... The whole thing. So it they has have to. to. They have. If they're the golf channel, and they're not talking about it. Then people will be like, "What the fuck?" It has to. But anyway, we've got. Uh, I mean, all, all the big guys will be there. DJ, Rom, who's just on fuego and yeah. can't miss. Prepare for us to talk about Rom next week because he's going to be in the top five he, again. He's just always up there, which is awesome. Except when we get to play the Ryder Cup against him because that's going to suck. <laughs> Spieth, uh had a great week. He's there. We've got. I believe I was looking. I mean, DJ. I think he, I saw that his last two starts, Sawgrass uh, and over at the Four Seasons, he finished, those were his first times finishing consecutively outside of the top ten in like a year. Yeah, it always happens with good golf runs. Sometimes you don't realize what how good the run is until you're out of it. And DJ, he's he's just on a great run. Expecting a lot out of him this week? Of course. He's Deej, so it'll be fun. I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna, I, I really like watching the Sunday of the Memorial, like when Jack's around checking things out, stalking over the 18th green. Yeah, where we've watched Tiger make a couple putts over the years. Uh, you got any picks or anything? Um, uh, no, I was gonna say Ron, but I was gonna say something about Nicholas. How nervous do you think that makes the guys out there? Like, this, I mean, he's got to know what kind of like aura he puts around. I always felt like at Bay Hill, it, it maybe did. Just because, because Ar- Ar- Arnie was so, he's just the fucking man. Yeah. And like Jack, Jack's Jack, don't get me wrong, but uh, I don't know. I don't know if that really affects him. What do you think? Uh, I think it affects them in a big way. You think so? Mm-hmm. What? I'm a I, maybe surprised not, by Okay, that. maybe not like a huge way, but they definitely know Jack's around, and especially when he's like out on the course, they got to be like, all right. Yeah, it definitely carries a lot more gusto to the tournament, too. You're going to, you can win Jack's turn. Yes, I totally completely agree. So I think I think that's in the back of guys' minds, which is exciting. This is a big one. This is uh, this again. I like this tournament. I love this track. 
uh, always have. It always produces really good golf. It's uh, it's hard as fuck. They always have the greens running lightning, which is great. So I saw some pictures of Murfield that people are tweeting out. It looks impeccable. It's like ready to rock. Yes. Good. I like this track. It's always a fun week, like I said. So, anyways, enjoy the memorial. Um, stay out of trouble, Tiger. Stay out of trouble, Tiger, and everybody else. I hope everyone enjoyed the video that we haven't seen yet as you're listening to this of yeah, Tiger. People, oh, people are probably breaking it down like this is a Pruder film. So yeah. It's just going crazy, I bet. Yeah, I'm jealous. We're, we're, I mean, we'll see it eventually. We'll be, yeah, we will have seen it when you're listening to this. But, but right now, in this moment, we have not seen it. You probably have. Yeah, we're like, we're, we're like in some time warp continuum in your brains right now. Whoa. Stuff. Hit it hard. Hit it hard.